Hey everybody, welcome to the Conscious 8 Podcast, where Philip and Mark, being me, talk about stuff we find interesting. How's it going, bro? What's going on? Back again. Back again. Episode deuce. It is. That was pretty cool, doing the first one. It was. Yeah. It was was a strange experience. It's kind of like all I can think about for like, since we've done it. Yeah, it was kind of like surreal, like you were saying, um... Something you'd wanted to do, and like obviously, I've watched, I've listened to podcasts for like ten years, right? And it's like, yeah, to actually do it, get out of the way, and then uh, I know, you know, we've talked to some people who've listened to it, and watching the downloads, downloads, right? Downloads, yeah, is really cool. That's neat. All over, like where in the world they're coming from, but some of my, like friends who have listened to it, saying like, which we thought were really finding a groove at like kind of five ten minutes. Exactly. You know, that was neat to see. In yeah, like most stuff. people that I like sent it to, I was like, hey, like, please disregard the first eight minutes. We're just kind of <laughs> nice. like getting our uh, getting our feet wet, I guess. Yeah, it's it's cool. The like um, whole unedited thing. It is like the hangout yeah. kind of podcast versus like some podcasts I listen to are more like, I guess, I don't know, manufactured. Man- well, yeah, that's a term. But... They definitely have more production value than. We yeah, do. yeah. But even like the like um, National Geo has a really cool one. It's called uh, "Overheard at the National Geographic Museum" or something like that. And it's okay. like topics that are in Smithsonian or whatever. And it's like it's really edited. Is Smithsonian like a? It's like, like a, a the Smithsonian I know it's Museum some kind of, of Natural History. Okay, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like the uh, like the Wright brothers' planes in there. So it's like human <clears> history. <throat> and I don't think it's or. Another thing our listeners will have to look up. Yeah. I think it's just human stuff, like human history. So human it's like inventions. Inventions and like, you know, like the wheel is in and it's there. in the and States? Like uh, I'm pretty sure. Smithsonian? Yeah, maybe in New York or Boston. Because hmm. New York has, I think it's the Met and maybe the Smithsonian. Should I double check that? Yeah, check out the Smithsonian where it is. I would hate for our listeners to take a trip based on our recommendations. Exactly, because you know? everything we say is so correct. Yeah, it's like we're... I barely can make a mistake. It's gospel, yeah. Like it's Philip gospel, and Mark yeah. told me to go to the Smithsonian <laughs> in Boston, and I'm here in Boston, and there's no Smithsonian. Sir, the Smithsonian is not in this city. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but they told Listen to it. Listen. They're like, sir, we're going to have to press the the button. No, I'll play it. I'll play it for you. You can hear it. You gotta wait about seventeen minutes, but just just hold on. Okay? Yeah, the first eight minutes just rough. They're like, sir, <laughs> I make minimum wage. I'm a greeter at the Smithsonian. All right, you're not even there yet. <laughs> oh yeah, what was I googling? Yes, the Smithsonian. Where the Smithsonian is? Yes, first uh, fact check. Uh, Mark, where can people contact us if they had some feedback? Conscious uh, Ape Podcast on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, that is correct. I think we were talking that would be cool to. Um, have people even just send in recommendations or like just to reach out, um, <clears throat> even topics. I think we were talking about before we um, before we started this, it'd be cool to get to a point where people like, because of what we're interested in, obviously it's like the conscious ape and like we talk about, you know, history, philosophy, sports, all that kind of stuff. It'd be cool if people were like, hey, I'm interested in this. Do you guys know anything about it? Yes, exactly. That'd like cool. <clears throat> if you guys have stuff you would like, like us to try and talk about, mm-hmm. Just let cool. us know. Having people engage, but yeah, I forget where I was going with the Smithsonian thing. Uh, yes, it's in Washington. Damn, we weren't even Washington D.C. Yep, man, I was so off. I'm, <laughs> I'll have to like, like no, fact check. Go to New York. Checking. No, yeah. New York. It's in New York for sure. <laughs> no, I was thinking because the Met is in New York, 
and the Met is the Metropolitan Museum of Art, I think. Okay. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's in Washington. But what was the original point about why we were talking about the Smithsonian? <laughs> I guess uh, our listeners will have to. Uh, <laughs> We've already lost. Let that us one. know. That's yes. Funny. Yeah. The THC can be a powerful thing for some of us. For some of us. <laughs> to wiping the wiping the memory clean. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, episode two now. Episode two. Getting into it. So um, I think what I wanted to talk about, I was telling you the other day, was in general, Dune, the novel, is one of my favorite novels. Okay. And I think there's tons of stuff we could mine there. But also with it being the Oscars and uh, Dune, the so there obviously there's the novel, there's the book series. Yeah. There's the expanded universe. Frank Herbert wrote the first six and then his son took over... 15, 20 years after and did like an expanded universe prequels um, and like interludes of the six books. Cause is it like, is it similar writing style of the him and the son? No, Frank Herbert is so Frank Herbert wrote Dune. I think it was in 65. Pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and he is like in, in science fiction in general, he's so specific to his own style. It's like no one, in my opinion, no one's been able to reproduce what he did, especially in the first three books. Yeah. Because the the first book is considered Dune 1. It's considered, uh, if not the masterpiece of science fiction, okay. one of the masterpieces. Yeah. Like, Dune is paired in with, like, Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. Never heard um, of that. By the way, for the record, I have never read any of the Dune books. Yeah. Uh, never watched any of the movies. Yeah. Going into this dry. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> Made in Dune Voyage talking about. Made in Dune yeah. Voyage, exactly. But so the, it's funny because the, the movies, there's the one from the 80s. Yeah. And it's like capital B bananas. Like, as a like in a good way or a bad way? It's hard, it's hard to say. It's its own thing. It's its own thing. I think it's David hmm. Lynch's Dune. And it's like... It's weird. It's it's actually kind of awkward weird in points. Yeah. Because of some of the character characterizations of, of the characters. Is that a thing? Char- character? Characterization of characters? <laughs> characters? I'm sure it is. It sounds... It just own. rolls off the tongue. Yeah. The Mark uh, style of literary analysis? It's just exactly. like... <laughs> makes it's, <shit> insane. <laughs> it's insane. It's <laughs> insane. It's purely insane. Yeah. The professors of the future are like, hmm, I see you're taking on the Mark <laughs> analysis yeah, of Yeah, they're like listening to this like a thousand years from now. <laughs> yeah, this is an example of a really bad English <laughs> Yeah, they're like, what we don't want you to do is analyze it like Mark off of the Conscious Ape podcast. Please shy away from that. And then the guy's just standing up there, yo, dude, like I'm here to do my book presentation. Saw, dude, saw. So anyways, Dune, right? I did it, Mama. <laughs> I did it, Mama. Shout out to Mama. They're like, yeah. sure, please get off this. <laughs> yeah, you weren't even invited. <laughs> yeah, so David Lynch's Dune 1984 is like, it's just weird. It's like really stylized. It's almost like a prolonged acid trip, like no joke. Okay. And uh, Sounds exhausting. <laughs> you know what, man? <laughs> That's a really good way for me of describing, because it's so different than the novel. He actually takes, I'm pretty sure it's David Lynch. Our fans will fact check that. Um, <clears throat> he took big liberties with the plot. Okay. The first half of the 1984 Dune is like kind of 
kind of it's not bad and then the last half because in the book there's there's almost like two distinct acts okay so but in the second half of the lynch dune i think in 1984 he takes like mega liberties to the point where the second half of 84 dune is almost not even dune anymore it's like this own thing he created um and he's just using like characters names okay yeah it'd be like if um whoever the multiple directors of like the Harry Potter series was like, okay, after four, after the, uh, yeah, you can tell the narrative changes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, after Harry Potter, Potter the Phoenix, we're just going to fucking freestyle and do whatever we exactly. want. Exactly. And so it's like, um, it's interesting. Sorry, but no, it's interesting how like most shows nowadays that you watch with like, obviously some, some, um, wow. Blanking on that one. Some instances. Some instances. Some instances of some shows where, like, they get to a certain point, and then after that, it just gets like. It's like the shows don't know how to finish. Mm, interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's such great build up on so many ways, and then like once it comes time to ending it, it's like always yeah. a choke. Well, have you ever noticed long-running TV shows? I think I think there's actually, you can read about this, it's like after the fourth season, seasons one, two, three are usually always critically acclaimed, and then four, sometimes, like if season threes have valleys, season fours will be like renew, and then after that they kind of get like bullshit. There's actually, a, a, it's funny you say that because there's a term in TV land where it's called jumping the shark. Have you ever heard of that? No. So I think it comes from the show Happy Jumping Days. the Shark. Yeah, they call it like, oh, that show, like Lost, the TV show okay. Lost. They say, yeah, the last three seasons, they really jumped the shark with Lost or whatever. Whatever show was once good, and then it gets like wacky. They call it, they tried to jump the shark. And it Where comes, does the saying come from? So have you ever heard of the show Happy Days? Sunday, Monday, Happy Days. Uh, Dude, no. With the Fonz. In, hey. um, <laughs> In early years, Croatia, we didn't actually have Happy Days show on yeah. the on the national in, TV. Uh, yeah, in <laughs> communist Yugoslavia, they didn't have a 1970s yeah. show that takes place in the 60s. It's really weird. It's almost like they filtered. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, so Happy Days was this mega popular TV show in, I think it was, yeah, the 70s, but it takes place in the 50s, right? And so they they started doing these, like, like arcs where it was like something crazy is going to happen at the end of the season to get people to watch. And then the, the main character who's like the Fonz. He was like the greaser, like the John Travolta in, yeah. in Greece, literally. Um, he ends up doing this thing where it was like the highlight of the, the season was him jumping over like on a ski boat okay. in his like leather jacket, jumping over a pit of sharks in the water. And it was like, that was like the fall of the show. That's where the saying so comes from. So they literally from. call it like you're doing stuff to just like, prom like you're just doing stuff to get people to watch. So they call it jumping the shark. That's really cool how like a saying comes from like mm -hmm. a, a person's idea. Yeah, yeah. And then it just becomes like a, like a term. Yeah. Pretty much like all terms. Would be like <laughs> yeah. That yeah. Like anything in language. Um, Interesting. So yeah, so the, the Dune one, the, the, the 84 one was super weird, but then the i'm gonna pronounce his name wrong all night if i say it denny villeneuve okay <laughs> I, I like the accent that i always say dennis villeneuve but like 
as a person from an Acadian French descent, I don't speak a lick of French. Like, I'm going to be hammered for that. Our fans are going to not forgive me for that. But so Denis Villeneuve, that's how I'm going to pronounce it from now on, which I think is best director of the last 15 years, in my humble opinion. He did this new one that came out last, like, it was like December of 2021. Yeah, I've seen, and, I've seen like yeah. trailers for that one, and yeah. I wanted to see it, but like I didn't know if I needed to watch the one before. No, I've I've heard that come up quite a bit. Yeah, I'm and, pretty sure I asked you before about. Yeah, if someone was like, "Oh, hey, I'm gonna watch the first Dune, mm-hmm. 1984," they'd be like, "Why? Like, what? Mark needs to go see a, a doctor because <laughs> it's like I said, <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. There's weird scenes in it, and um, like weird how." Like, it just doesn't make sense. Animation's weird. Like, yeah, the animation's weird. And then, like, the, so the main bad guy in the novel and then in the movies, or the one movie, because let's just pretend 1984 doesn't, isn't canon, okay. is um, is uh, the Baron Harkonnen. <clears throat> and in the... Is no- the story, is this a character? Yeah, he's, like, the main bad guy, I guess you could say. Okay. Like, really simplified, but the Baron Harkonnen or Harkonnen, whatever. I say Harkonnen. I say Harkonnen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard that pr- pronunciation and other like <clears throat> there's some really good YouTube channels that do like Dune breakdowns and stuff like that. Like okay. one's called Nerd Cookies, I think. Shout out to Nerd. Cookies. Shout out to Nerd Cookies. They have like a couple hundred thousand YouTube followers. Okay. There's another guy. I think it's Quinn's Ideas. So shout out to Quinn's Ideas. So he does like uh, like he uh, comes up with his own like ideas for stuff. Yeah, and it's almost more like like a fan made film. Ten fifteen minute breakdowns of the novels and like he talks about. Um, kind of sci-fi. This Quinn's Ideas has like a million followers. It's actually amazing huh. that someone can just talk about novels and sci-fi and geek stuff that he loves, and the dude's like five hundred thousand like an episode. He's well, not even an episode. It's just like he makes them and he talks about the novels and he talks about the the kind of fictitious past of the universe and stuff like that. But anyways, I've heard that Nerd Cookies pronounce what I say. Harkonnen as Harkonnen. So I don't think it's neither here nor there. Yeah. But the Baron is like, he's, you know, um, like grossly obese. <laughs> grossly obese. And in the novel, he's described as like just this gross, like grotesque human being. He's so fat <laughs> that. Can I find a picture of him? You probably could. Yeah, images. Um, I forget. Can who you the, Google its name? The guy um, who plays him in the, in the movie. So Baron Harkonnen. Like in the new movie? In the new movie. Starsguard? One of the Starsguards played him? The the eldest Starsguard? So there's one. So there's a picture. I'm showing Philip a picture of the Baron Harkonnen. Who's yes, like I'm giant. seeing this for the first time. Like oh, like obese though. Like specifically, so he's so fat that he has to have like anti-gravitor, anti, anti-gravitor, anti-gravity. Like a chair? Like a chair, but like a suspensors, like suspensor mm-hmm. field to prop him up. <laughs> so nice. he like floats. Hashtag life goal. <laughs> Hashtag, yeah, it's like <laughs> Wally. They stole it from Frank Herbert. He kind of reminds me of like Kingpin. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. For for people who haven't read it, but like Kingpin's a bit jacked, like a little bit. Yeah, he's like a like strong man. Wider shoulders for yeah. sure. Yeah. This Where one has like Baron has Harkonnen. Titties is like, going on. <laughs> yeah, he's like, like morbidly, capital M, morbidly obese. <laughs> So anyways, correct. in 1984 Dune, he's got like pustules and he's like, he's gross. Okay. And he like flies around. So I, in the novel, it's not, he doesn't like fly around. Whereas in the, in the 84 Dune, 
he's like flying around and laughing and it's just it's so weird man and there's like a, a scene where there's like this cat being milked by a machine <laughs> oh my god so for what weird. it's so weird i don't know for they milk don't, they don't explain it man it's so weird. Like, I really can't say how weird that... I love how, like, shows like that will be, like, so specific about so many things. And then a cat will be getting milked. And they're like, eh, we'll just leave that to your imagination, what's going on. Yeah, and, like, the you, if you if you read it, like, the original Dune, yeah. we'll call it that instead of 84, they say, like, it, it peaked at the cat milking scene. <laughs> they jumped the shark there. They jumped the shark. <laughs> With milking a cat in space, basically. That is fair, yeah. I think it's Getty Prime is where the Harkonnens are from. But, um, yeah, so Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Um, I like that, yes. I'm, like, making fun of his name. <laughs> is he alive? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he just, just did this. He was at the Oscars last night. And because Dune got ten, ten nominations. Um, and then last night they did quite a bit they they didn't win i don't think any major categories but they won like best sound like technical awards like best sound editing best cinematography yeah the soundtrack is dope it's um hans zimmer i think okay hans zimmer yeah and uh he did like he made his own instruments like he created instruments that sounds specifically for the show specifically for the the 2021 dune what kind of instruments they were like weird pipe things that like made almost like a, a like a ditchery from what I was, from what I took it as it was like a ditchery do sound, but almost like the the like um, Mongolian throat singing. Oh yeah, man, I love that stuff. Yeah, in the movie, and this is cool, man. Like, there's so much here to talk about. Dune is hype, bro. <laughs> That's why we're doing this, bro. And uh, I love I love how much we say, bro. I had one of my oh, buddies. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Jamie. Uh, tell me that we say bro a bunch. Nice. <laughs> and I nice. was like, bro, bro. That's the island, man. That's the island, bro. Represent that <laughs> island. Dude. I know, uh, I know I say dude a lot. I love dude, yes. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what I was going to say, since we like mentioned Jamie, Jamie's going to be on our next episode. Nice. Uh, we're going to have a little guest on. Um, first guest. First guest. Well. I guess technically would Haley have been our first Haley guest? Haley would have been in the first guest. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Let's call her the first guest. Exactly, Haley. You're the first guest. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jamie's going to be on the next episode, so tune cool. in for that. Yeah, um, nice. Um, so where, where was I going? Oh, Dennis, the Villeneuve. We're talking about him, Hans like Zimmer. Uh, uh, Hank Zimmer making the music yeah. and the Oscars. Um, yeah, they won technical awards, but to finish that thought, um, Zimmer made instruments that to me sounded like ditchery do kind of throat singing yeah yeah like mongolian or like even there's like altai throat singing have mm -hmm. you ever heard that i did actually yeah there's a there's the two guys in the yeah. grass fields that's exactly amazing man weirdly enough like i'll sometimes like play that shit to myself oh yeah i have their i bought their album <laughs> no joke yeah altai throat altai throat singing they were at my wedding bro <laughs> yeah, <it's> just, <laughs> yeah the one time it's like it's called overtone singing and it's like two um Two notes at once. That's amazing. The one in the one video of theirs where it's like 20 million views now. <clears throat> I think it's like around the two minute mark. Maybe the two minute 20 mark. I'm so specific with stuff. I, I love it. <laughs> and it's, uh, that's when he's like, man, that motherfucker is communicating with like the ether. When he does his really high overtone singing. Okay. Yeah. 
folks, if you're listening, check out Altai throat singing. It's like a Caucasian guy in a Altai, which are like Mongolian, they're like Mongolian kind of Siberian peoples. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. They'd be indigenous to the area. Yeah, Altai. It's like A L T A I. It's crazy how the Altai they, uh, region. I watched a couple little documentaries. Obviously, I'm not an expert on this, uh, but like how they live in those like areas mm-hmm. and like nothing changed for so long. Mm-hmm. It's really crazy. Yeah, like the the isolate because especially that Altai region is, it's like nestled in between Mongolia and Kazakhstan. Yeah, and it, I think it's technically Russian. I, I think it is Russian like too, a yeah. region of Russia, but like more Siberian. Maybe they think of themselves as not Siberian, but Altai. Yeah. But um, yeah, like that kind of ties into, I think what we're going to get into a bit too is like the warrior people of the steppes. I think Altai is more mountainous, but like the steppes. It would be kind of the, the steppes, deserts yeah. and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have some. Because the Himalayan mountains, yes, they're mountains, but they also have, like, a shitload of steps around them. Yeah, plateau. The exactly. Himalayan plateau. That's, like, where Tibet is. Like, Tibet is technically yeah. on a giant plateau. Mm-hmm. That's why they call it the rooftop of the world. Because it's, like, one of the highest. It's obviously it's like the furthest uh, amount of, uh, like, uh, distance from the sea level. Yeah, yeah, like, lived people. Because the Himalayas, yeah, the, the Himalayas are the highest mountain range. Yeah. That's where, like, Everest is and all that. Mm-hmm. And then I think after you get over that, over the Himalayas, when you get down to the other side and you start getting into what historically was Tibet, where now it's technically Chinese because they took over they took over Tibet. Okay. But the where Tibet is is called the Tibetan Plateau. And then they, so they call that the rooftop of the world because it's, like, the highest cool. mountains and then the plateau is, like... Right up there in the Himalayas, nestled in the Himalayas, literally. Right? So, there's a cool documentary um, called 14 Peaks. Hey, I watched it. Yeah, that's amazing, man. It was, it's like unreal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. What was his name? It was like Nims, Nims Die, I think. They called himself Nims. Uh, yeah, it was Nims. Should yeah, we look was... this up? He was just on Joe Rogan, I think. He was, yeah. Yeah, and 14 peaks, and he climbs the 14 highest peaks in the world. They were like the 14 above 8,000 meters. Yeah, and all 14. Did, it did was it like, what, six, six months? Six months, man. Yeah. It was like six months and three days. And then the one time... And sometimes it takes people like 12 years to even like yeah. think about like... Yeah. Because you have to wait so long. Like, the interesting part like in climbing that I didn't know about before... Uh, I watched the show is like how much you're dependent on weather. Mm. Like I never realized it'd be that important, but it's like, yeah, well, they just did. I think it was in the, in that documentary. They did that, uh, K2 winter ascent and that, mm-hmm. had never, that had never been done before. Cause K2 in the best of times, like murks people kills them killer mountain. And then they did it in winter. Cause this, his name is Nirmal Purja. Okay. N i r m a l p u r j a. Shout out to Nirmal Purja, but I think he goes by Nims. I think he does. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like a, he was a um, Gurkha, mm-hmm. which is cr- like super prestigious, and then he was also in the special boat service. I isn't the Gurkha the soldiers? The soldiers from Nepal. Yeah, he's yeah. Nepalese. But and like special, special Sherpas. Ops. Sherpas are are Nepalese. Yeah. And so he's like this, yeah, he's like 
cut from stone, this guy. <laughs> it's insane. It's super insane. Like, the dedication, mm-hmm. like, that's that's all he sees, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the documentary, his, I think his wife's talking about <clears throat> when he was trying to make the, the boat service, which is Special Forces in mm-hmm. Britain. And she was like, yeah, you'd go, he would go run, wake up at 4.30 in the morning, go run 20 miles, which is like 40 kilometers or something. Exactly, just then running would, half a marathon every day. Just Yeah, just cash. Cash marathon. Did nice little half marathon today. <laughs> yeah. What time is it now? It's yeah, six thirty like, in the yeah. morning. Yeah. When people are just waking up, he's already done a marathon, and then he would like do push-ups, lift weights, and then go to work. <laughs> but the one scene in the documentary was interesting, where he um, he's doing the he's got the like the mask on and he's riding the bike, mm-hmm. and uh, they're they're going over his like hemoglobin and all that, and they're like, yeah, you have. 10 times the hemoglobin of like a elite which is like helps him with oxygen yeah hemoglobin um, carries hemoglobin carries uh blood to it's like creates oxygen or something this is so bro science right now we should uh fact check this with a scientist on call hemoglobin uh, Haley. <laughs> yeah what does hemoglobin do uh-oh carries oxygen carries, carries oxygen, oxygen yeah in the blood yeah, through the blood, in the blood. All right. I love saying the term hemoglobin. Hemoglobin, abbreviated HP or HGB, is the iron-containing oxygen transport metalloprotein in red blood cells of almost all vertebrates. Shout out to hemoglobin. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to hemoglobin. Um, but yeah, the, that one scientist was saying, he did the masked bike ride, and then he was saying, like, yeah... I don't know. Who knows if it was handy. That's like when they reduce oxygen intake yep. while he's like going through heavy physical yeah. uh, labor. The, the, the scientist said he had put that mask so it was equivalent to like an 8,000 or yeah, 6,000 And he like, like did it longer than like yeah, he said anybody like ever like. Pro cyclists couldn't even do because it was like 6,000 meters I think the scientist mm-hmm. said. And so he did like six minutes straight bicycling at like the equivalent of 6,000 meters. And I think in the documentary they're saying eight thousand meters is where you're you you start basically. Well, your brain's not receiving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Like, what do you think? Like, what do you think gets people to just want to like risk their life like that? Well, it's like, is it just like a constant? Like you're constantly looking for more and more and more, or is it just pure thrill? Like. I think, it's, yeah, I think it's a multiple factor. Because when you watch him and you watch that documentary, you do get the impression that he, you know, it's like the old term thrill seeker. You do get the impression he's very much a thrill seeker, but he's also like, when he was saying like, uh, it's not in the blood. Quitting's not in the blood. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this motherfucker lives his life like the, the, yeah. out, out of iron, right? Like, and it's, so I think there's, um, it, it almost reminds me of like epigenetics. Have you ever heard of epigenetics? No. Epigenetics is like everyone's born, obviously, you kind of win or lose the genetic lottery when you're born because you don't pick your parents. Yeah. You don't pick your genes, right? You don't pick your DNA. So you're kind of, you're born to whatever you get. Mm -hmm. But then if you live in a certain environment, whatever genes that are like beneficial in the environment can be like expressed. Whereas like if you live in say you know, like a really comfortable North American suburb or whatever. Yeah. 
and you you have like a stable life and and you know you always get food and you have a place to sleep and there's not much stress in your life certain like stressor as i understand it epigenetics is like certain stressor um like genetic code won't get expressed and you won't ever really like um have the ability to to find out in essence it's like a real simple way of explaining it yeah um so someone like nims is he's obviously born in nepal Mm -hmm. and he clearly won like a genetic lottery of being born with like you know stamina and strength and health health and like but the will determination like everything just so he has that he was born with those characteristics but then you know like the hemoglobin you can't like train yeah bro i'm gonna train my hemoglobin today i'm doing a hemoglobin metcon like you can't really do that you Mm -hmm. can go up to like literally go up to mountains and then your your blood you like you can create more hemoglobin training at like fighters do that all the time like a big bear and stuff like that um, they would train at elevation and they'd, they'd go back down to sea level mm-hmm. and they would have twice the amount of hemoglobin. But someone like him is the way I watched it is like, oh, this guy kind of won the genetic lottery, but he also had a personality trait that matched his like genetics. Yeah, just everything right? just goes yeah. like, and then the like, I guess, chooses a life. Yeah. It's That's literally keep... what it is. Yeah. Like, you, you're you not just, like, born into climbing mountains and climbing exactly. 14 yeah, peaks, sure, you know? Yeah. It's like you make a conscious choice mm-hmm. of being, like, this is who I'm going to be. Yeah. And then you become that. Mm-hmm. And, like, I kind of, like, I don't know. Well, he talked about that, like, because he went, he went Gurkhas, which is really prestigious in Nepal. And then he went the boat service and he fought in Afghanistan. And then... It was like he was like 32, and he was like, Yeah, I hadn't really mountaineered before, but he thought, like, Hey, what the fuck? Sound <laughs> looks cool. Yeah. And then he ends up being literally probably one of the best mountaineers in the last hundred years. Yeah, exactly. So he, you know, but obviously, through the what he did, it's kind of reminds me of like that almost that sport conversation we were talking about last episode. Mm-hmm. Is he did he started down a path to something that gave him some reward. And then he was good at it, so he started chasing the reward. And it just happened that he also had the, the kind of genetics to back being really good at something. I think some people have the genetics for something mm-hmm. and then never really find that niche to it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of like, it's almost like epigenetics. Our listeners should Google epigenetics. It's really interesting. And I think epigenetics is still somewhat debated. Because there was, like, a big misunderstanding of epigenetics of, like, you can almost, like, trick your trick your genes and all that. Like, there was a big misunderstanding. Like, yeah. Like, there always is in science. Like, when the uh, down the rabbit hole, what the bleep do we know down the rabbit hole was, like, convincing people 20 years ago that quantum physics was, like, the secret. Like, oh, I just need to think positive thoughts and quantum physics will oh. make me. Yeah, it really, it really confused the general... It really confused the general population on like the double slit experiment and like all yeah. that stuff. But um, yeah, b- back to Nim's die. It's like you know he he's a guy who found exactly what he should be doing. That's how I interpret it. Watching him mm-hmm. is a guy like you know the the Gurkha thing is. You know his brother talks about that about how he was like no just stay for five more years and then you'll get your pension. 
like you need to do this for the family because the Gurkhas are so prestigious. Because I think you, as a Gurkha, I think you also can get British citizenship. Okay. Being being from Nepal, being Nepalese. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a big thing about like you get a British military pension as a Nepalese oh. Gurkha. Yeah. Uh, so it's big. And especially in a place that is not super well known for being like an economic powerhouse, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so he, you know, he did that and then he did the boat service. So he was legit in the British military. Like that's a special forces branch of the British military. And then... Um, he yeah he had that incident in Afghanistan and then it was like his his brother was like what are you doing like you need to do this for the family but then the dude found mountaineering as like a it it seemed to me like it was like a lark like hey that looks cool let's go try to climb Mount Everest yeah and then he ends up summoning Mount Everest and like the one thing that absolutely blew me away was um well two things really blew me away like extra blew me away was um the one time where they climbed the one mountain, they were like hungover. Yeah, yeah. They had yeah. been partying the night before, and then the one North Face mountaineer was like, um, "What do I think of Nims climbing the? It was like La Hosa or however you pronounce it, mm-hmm. climbing La Hosa hungover." And he was like, "Well, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that because <laughs> it's like eight thousand meter you mountains, have nothing to compare. Killer to, mountains, yeah. yeah. And then um, they did the the." It was like the tri-summit of Mount Everest and then the two other ones that are close to it. Yeah. They did them in like 36 hours or something. Yeah, it was something ridiculous. Yeah, he summited Everest in like four and a half hours or something. Yeah, the fastest to climb it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like running up the... Man, like seeing like... It's like he disrespected footage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you my bitch, you mountain. You bitch, Mount Everest. <laughs> Fuck you, Mount Everest. <laughs> It's uh, it's kind of fucked up, like, when you see, like, videos on top of Mount Everest and those mountains and the amount of flags yeah, and, like, human garbage. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of those flags, though, are Tibetan prayer flags, so fucking watch yourself. <laughs> what? Yeah, the, a lot of the flags. But they that... have, like, different countries on them. Well, the oh, you're talking, like, flag flags. Yeah, like, the little like one country. that they tie up, but they'll have, like, a... They'll be, like, blue and yellow and red? No, not only those. Fuck, I don't I'm know. I'm so triggered right now. <laughs> I'm so triggered right now. You need to calm down, sir. <laughs> I'm like, you keep those flags out of your fucking mouth. Um, hey. No, because there's actual things called Tibetan prayer flags that you're okay. supposed to put in like windy areas, as far as I understand. In windy areas? Yeah, windy areas, because it's like the wind carries the Because they're flags, prayer. right? <laughs> No. Is that, it is carries, that where the wind comes it from? Carries, yeah. Interesting. Am I making fun of a religion Winds right and now? Flags. And, by the way, if I am making fun of low a religion, key. I'm yeah. not realizing I You're am. You're low key. Low key? Tibetan Buddhism. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we should have a Buddhist come here and slap you a la Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Will Smith. Keep my flags <laughs> out Keep your prayer flags <laughs> out of your fucking mouth. Smack. <laughs> um Man. No, I think it's like as the the myth says is the wind carries the prayer like off of a flag. Oh, I see. But anyways, you're you're right though about the the um, oxygen tanks. Okay. Oxygen tanks that litter Mount Everest. There's also bodies that litter Mount Everest. Ah, uh, large amount <laughs> yeah. of bodies. That's wild. And now that with um climate change, they're being like exposed more and more now than ever. Yeah. Which is like, man, imagine you're on your way up like 
some, I always assume it's like a millionaire who's like, I'm going to pay this Nepalese Sherpa to carry all my shit. And, yeah. and like drag me up the mountain so I can take a selfie at the top Probably. of Mount Everest. But you're 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 going up and you look and you're passing all these like half decomposed bodies on the way to Mount Everest. Very encouraging to, <laughs> yeah. to keep going, right? <laughs> Anyways, man, did we did we originally start talking about Dune? Yes, we did. That's hilarious. Yeah. What a tangent. Uh, we were talking about uh, the villain guy. Yeah, Baron Harkonnen. Yes. And, and then, then what were the Harkonnens all about? Just. Like, what was the philosophy? Evil, greed. I guess evil. That's a bit of a strong word. They were, like, greedy. I see them not, like, the modern interpretation of the Harkonnens is, like, the evil. I keep saying evil. It's, like, greedy. Greedy, power greedy hungry. Greedy power. Power, yeah. Um, money. Because. In the Dune universe. So what are they, what are they trying to do? I guess just be the most powerful. Because in Dune, there's the royal families. They're like houses, major houses. And so they want to be the most powerful. Because yeah. the main one is called House Carino, and that's like the emperor. Mm-hmm. So in Dune... It's kind of like Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Game of Thrones. Shout out to Game of Thrones. <laughs> Shout out to George R. R. Martin. <laughs> don't die before you finish all the books. Yeah, please um, don't, bro. Yeah, and in, in, so in the universe... Um, there's major houses and then there's like a parliament in essence, it's a parliament called the Lanzrad. And then there's an emperor and it's like kind of feudal. And then the main, the, the jewel in the crown of this universe is a planet called Arrakis, which is Dune. Okay. And it's a desert planet. And just desert, just desert. It used to be a lush paradise. Kind of like us. (laughs) Kind of like like me and you, personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so in, in this this desert planet, it's the only place in the known universe that has a, a, I guess you could call it like a substance called spice. They call it spice or melange. Okay. And you can only get it in Arrakis. So whoever controls Arrakis by the decree of the emperor becomes like the most powerful wealthy house in the known universe because without spice or melange I, I i'll say spice yeah what what is spice used for well so that's the thing is it it can create like you can become it can is expand it like ganja <laughs> i guess so <laughs> you can expand intelligence you can become like prescient prescient to an extent like you can see into the future a little bit for like a certain amount of time or it just no you just get kind of like you just kind of become this prescient like you can see glimpses into the future you can expand consciousness you can expand intelligence and then so what happened is once they found this like this is all happens before the novel Mm -hmm. is these um I don't want to say they're creatures because they're technically humans, Mm -hmm. but they've taken massive doses of spice and they live in this like spice bubble in essence. And they're called the navigators, the guild navigators. And they're like horribly mutated humans that can, that can see into the future, but specifically through space travel. So without the guild navigators, so it all, wait, (laughs) wait, wait, (laughs) bro. Um, they can see into the future, mm-hmm. yeah. but only through space travel. 
so they can only see the future of space travel yeah. or they can so what do you mean they can like see where like spaceships are gonna go exactly that's exactly <laughs> it no joke are you pranking me right no, that's now that's exactly or? it so the guild navigators bro did i write this <laughs> <laughs> am i frank herbert it, is frank herbert alive am i talking right now <laughs> is frank herbert no, alive he, i think he died in like the late 80s that's me bro i'm reincarnated <laughs> i'm reincarnated frank <laughs> herbert shout out to myself <laughs> You're like, God, I'm a genius, bro. <laughs> Man, <clears throat> so good. Just jokes, guys. Um, go ahead. So, yeah, the Guild Navigators. <clears throat> and um, so they they, they have technology. So they don't do, like, warp drive like Star Trek and Star Wars. Is You literally you fly through space. Whereas in Dune, thousands of years before the novel starts, they created this Holtzman device. Mm-hmm. That bends space and time. Okay. So in the Dune book, they go into these like basically um, like aircraft carrier type ships. Mm-hmm. You put your ships in that. This Holtzman device bends space and time, so it 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 grabs it from where you want to go, and it pulls it to where you are. Before this guild navigators. So it's like time travel. No, it's like um, like have you ever heard of the scientists talk about like two points, two points on a piece of paper. And instead of traveling across the paper, if you had enough power, like the equivalent of like, you know, whatever, our guests will look this up, but millions of black holes, you could actually bend this fabric of space towards you. And then you just travel the little bit of distance and then you refold space and you end up on the other side of the piece of paper. It happens like they talk about it in movies and stuff like that. I remember that. Yeah. So what they do is in in space travel in Dune is they get into these like, in essence, space aircraft carriers they they use this device to to bend space but pre horribly mutated spice humans (laughs) (laughs) who look like fish basically okay they're fish humans they would be lost they wouldn't be able to successfully navigate through the bent space so what happens is because spice is the only place you can find it is on dune Mm -hmm. or arrakis Sorry, my throat. I'm just going to clear my throat a bit. Uh, go grab some more water, bro. And um, they uh, they can see intuitively through the like ex- mind-expanding properties of spice. They can see like the future of this, the bent space. They can mm-hmm. navigate, literally why they're called guild navigators. They can navigate through this like this gap in space. Yeah, yeah, time, yeah. Pretty I much. know what you mean. Yeah, like so, a tunnel or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it all kind of like the the cool thing about the the novel is they kind of hint at it a bit in the movie, but it's like the movie, man, it would be hard to get into everything because like just me and you having this conversation is like imagine you like you haven't seen the novel, you haven't read the novel, you haven't seen the movie. So a lot of people, Denny Villeneuve had to write the movie and do the movie as if people had never seen it. So imagine trying to get this across what I'm saying to you. Yeah, exactly. In a movie. If of I were hours, trying right? to like explain like Lord of the Rings to someone in like yeah, 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the, the elevator pitch of Dune is like yeah. impossible. So anyways, um, but yeah, so basically we were talking about, uh, like, so what was the Harkonnen's idea? What did they want to achieve? Just dominance, like pure dominance. Like, so how would they go about it? Like, would they just, like, start wars, or... So, mega spoiler alerts coming up. Oh. For our listeners. 
I'm going to get into novel spoilers and movie spoilers. You've had your chance to turn We'll this put on. it into the notes. <laughs> yeah. When we, when we post the episode, we'll put it so they know, yeah. So the, at the beginning of the movie and the novel, the Har- Harkonnens or Harkonnens have controlled Dune for whatever, 20 years or something like that, right? And um, a plot is set forward and they're like, they're brutal. And then the, the natives of... The natives of, of Arrakis or Dune are called the Fremen, mm-hmm. and they're desert peoples. And the Harkonnens are brutal controllers of Arrakis slash Dune. Okay. And they, you know, they try to kill the Fremen, and they just, they rule with an iron fist in the worst way possible. Mm-hmm. And so they've controlled it for, let's just say, 20 years. I can't remember the exact time what it was, but let's just say they've controlled it. Um, you know, think like the Belgians in the Congo. Like the the Belgians were brutal and you know yeah. started the whole phenomenon of cutting off the arms and just ruthless, ruthless. Yeah, so that's yeah. the that's basically in a nutshell that's the Harkonnens, okay. ruthless, power hungry, um, just pure destruction. Pure destruction. They're even like um, you know in the movie they're they're looked at as and uh, Dave Batista plays the one the Beast Raban, yeah, which is the nephew of the Baron Harkonnen, and he they're like pale and and bald and like you know, really dark black armor and stuff like that. And so they set, they set in motion that the Harkonnens will, will the emperor tells the Harkonnens, you're going to lose, I'm going to pull you out of Dune, Arrakis, and then I'm going to give um, the royal decree to the Atreides. And the Atreides are like the heroes of the story, especially Paul Atreides, which is Timothy Chalamet plays mm-hmm. him. And, uh, but they set, they set in motion this trap because the Atreides, and this is kind of like what we were talking about at work is like the Atreides are the, the archetype of like the benevolent ruler, almost like I see it in a sense of the Atreides are like the Athenians in like ancient Greek talk. I wouldn't say that the Harkonnens are Sparta. Yeah. Cause I think the Spartans are more like, um. I think the Fremen are like a, a mix of like Spartan, Mongol, um, almost like to an extent kind of like Maori, maybe like Polynesian peoples. Yeah. Kind of uh, the Fremen are more like the warrior peoples, mm-hmm. whereas the but I I very much see I even think in the novel I'm pulling really deep into the bag here I think they actually hint that the Atreides are descended from the Greek family the Atreus. Okay. That's getting deep though. Well, isn't Atreus a god? Atreus, yeah. So I, I think Atreus they hint the at there's some kind some of like point. deep, deep lines back to ancient Greece. So there is invoking some like Greek tragedies and Greek yeah. type stuff. But um for your for your question, like what do the Harkonnens want? They're just like power, 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 power. Mm-hmm. And that's what they want. And and in this in the novel and in the in the movie Dune equals control. You're powerful. And um, so they, they, the emperor gives, who's House Carino, mm-hmm. Shaddam Carino is his name. He gives Dune to the Atreides and tells the Harkonnens, get the fuck out of Dune. But they set it up because the Atreides are, like I said, they're kind of this benevolent people. Duke Leto Atreides, who's Paul's dad. Paul's the main character of the first three books in essence um you know he's like takes time to talk to his son it's like 
the complete opposite of the Harkonnens, who are okay. brutal, right? Um, and so Duke Leto is looked at as this, like, yeah, benevolent kind of ruler. You know, he's philosophical. Um, he, you know, he rules fairly. It's almost like democracy. And, and that's what I was saying at work today was, like, the Atreides are almost like Athens. Yeah. Where it was like, you know, there's citizens. Anyone can be a citizen. Um, you know, there's voting. Whereas in, like, Sparta, I'm not saying the Harkonnens are the, the equivalent, but Sparta was, like, a military dictatorship. Okay. And it was, like, you had to be a, a warrior or a soldier to be a, a, a citizen. No one else could be citizens in Sparta. Like, there was, like, a slave class named the Helots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were, like, the, the whipping boy of ancient Sparta. And to the point where they were... They, so they were just, like, slaves? Yeah, in essence, the, the, the helots, yeah. And um, I think I was saying, too, like, th- there's this whole myth of the Spartan culture, Spartan society, Sparta yeah. in general, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I guess maybe in a, in, a, in a nutshell, I'm just kind of thinking, thinking out loud here. I guess in a nutshell, maybe the Harkonnens, I know Frank Herbert has said that the Harkonnens were more meant to be the Soviet Soviet Russia. Okay. That's what he saw it as. In fact, there's an interview with him saying that... Um, when did he say that? What year? Like 70s, 80s, when okay. he was writing the Dune. There's six Dune, like there's two trilogies. But um, he was saying Harkonnen, or Harkonnen, he said he thought was Russian, but it's actually Finnish. It's actually a Finnish name. It's not a Russian name. But the Baron's name... Yeah, it doesn't name, sound Russian. Yeah, yeah, the Baron's name literally in the novel, the 1964 novel, is Vladimir Harkonnen. Okay. So he was supposed to be, but I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm looking at it in the lens of the, a 21st century person who never really grew up with the USSR. Like, I was like eight when the USSR collapsed in 1991. Yeah. So maybe I'm, not, maybe I'm not seeing it. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, the, the, myth of the, the myth of the Spartans, and it kind of plays into the myth of, the, like, the Fremen are like, you know, they're the best fighters in the universe because they live yeah. in this harsh climate and they have like you know they're desert peoples so they're always trying to preserve water and there's this great scene in the no, in the in the in the movie where Javier Bardem is playing the main Fremen like ruler called Stilgar yeah and he walks in and in my mind watching it as being such a big fan of the book I'm like he played that perfectly so he walks in and he's like you know lived his whole life on this harsh desolate planet you know they have like knife fights for supremacy like you can challenge the leader through a knife fight in friendly mm-hmm. culture and he walks in and he's like um kind of aloof to the like pomp and circumstance of the the okay. royals of a like the royal people being the atreides and he comes in and he's like yes what is it what do you want to talk to me about and then they're like oh this is the duke leto atreides and he and and stilgar spits on the table Mm-hmm. And they all pull their knives, and they're like, "How dare you!" And then the the one guy, Duncan Duncan Idaho, who's a, a main character, who lived with the Fremen for a bit, yeah, he's like, "No, no, no, stop! Put put your knives down! Put your swords down!" And he and he's he's like, "Thank you for your moisture of your body that you give so freely." And he spits back on the table, because in a in a desert culture, in a desert people, yeah, preserving water is the main thing. So to spit in, in Fremen culture, to spit and to cry is like the greatest thing you can give because you're will, mm. willy, willingly giving water away. 
That's weird. Yeah, yeah. So it's like they have like all this protocol around maintaining water. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and so like going back to the whole thing of the, the myth of the Spartan is like, um, I think we were talking about, you know, you see, not to get into any politics, because I, I really don't want to get into the, yeah. the pol- political thing, but um, like you see Molon, a- Molon Labe or Molon Abbe, probably pronouncing it wrong, flags, which is like the famous line of like, come and come and take them or come and get them. You see that attached to like, um, you see that attached to like the uh, anti-government type sentiment and you, you see that kind of stuff. So I just find it funny because the, you know, the idea of people who fancy themselves freedom fighters, um, who fancy themselves freedom fighters where it's like, you, you want to live in ancient Sparta, um, We're back. Back. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. Need a little break. Needed I... to needed to re up on the marijuana bar. <laughs> <laughs> I talked Philip into THC submission. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good way to Just, put it. And then this. You talked me this. into THC submission. I was Man. confused on so many level, guys. Like I didn't even. I could not even form a question of any kind. Dude. So if any of you get to this part, thank you for uh, <laughs> taking a little break with us. That's awesome. You guys have got a little chance to re-up on the your marijuana bar Yeah, but um, so I think where we left off was the I and I always pr- mispronounce it Molan Labe Molan Abbey. Yeah. So, I think the tangent I was going down was that the Fremen, Har- Harkonnens, Atreides. There's like yes. an ancient Greek. There's like a connection to all of yeah. them. Yeah. And I think Frank Herbert was invoking like warrior culture, especially through the Fremen. Yeah. And it just, it always reminds me of what I was saying is like the myth of the Spartan, the myth of Spartan culture. Yeah. To the point where like the, the come and come and take them, come and get them is like, so people who fancy themselves freedom fighters and like mm. North American freedom fighters, I won't say what specific yeah, group in the last two yeah. years, but, um, freedom fighters and like freedom and then like there's an invoking of like spartans but yeah. it's like spartan culture i think I've, I've said previously already in this conversation spartan culture was a military like a military dictatorship like legit they yeah had, and it wasn't like you know elections and democracy it and was to like the rawest like part of it too mm-hmm. it was like animalistic survival type of shit yeah like with the agoge and stuff yeah. but there was like two kings like a duarchy i think it's called so there's two How kings would... i think they were her- like her- there was like two provinces of no it was like sparta the city but, but it had two kings the city state it had two kings and i think there was somewhat of a there was somewhat of a Senate, but it wasn't like what we would know of a Senate or like the Roman Senate. But it would be some form of a, a political party. No, I think it was like the military. Because like you couldn't, in, in ancient Sparta, you couldn't be a citizen. So you couldn't have standing in the society if you weren't in the military, if you weren't a Spartan warrior. If you weren't like in a phalanx. For a man. For a man, yeah. Okay. And, and people can fact check this. I don't think women had any standing in Spartan society. And there's like an, an old saying that like, I think the, the women were respected because 
there's a famous saying by, I forget who, but a Spartan woman where she said, we're the only women who give birth to real men. So there was a thing of like, yeah, if you they were strong, if you didn't birth Spartan warriors, you had no standing in the society, wow. right? So it, it every literally everything in Spartan so culture like was tied around super the military. Shallow. Well, it was well for that era. Yeah, it was I just it. Um, it was just war, like warrior. They really were the warrior people, and I think that's where the romanticization comes in, and yeah. that's where Frank Herbert I think was invoking the warrior ethos. Mm-hmm. Stephen Pressfield wrote a book called The Warrior Ethos. Um, but like the Fremen, I guess to I I think I'm gonna go with this, but the Harkonnens to an extent with their brutality, yeah, and then like I said, the Atreides with being like kind of the Athenian, more like democracy, more um, you know benevolent rulers and stuff, yeah. Um, but you know, there's even like stories of the way they discipline people in in ancient Sparta. Yeah, I was actually just gonna ask you about that. Yeah, they would beat yeah. them in publicly and like yeah. so viciously that. Um, in late, I guess, like declining Spartan culture, okay. people would come from all over Greece to the Peloponnese, where like Sparta is, the yeah, city yeah, state yeah. of Sparta, to watch the public beatings. So it's like they had almost become a wow. joke by that point. Yeah, so it's like this brutal, like a, a brutal military dictatorship. And don't get me wrong, I think there's some things that any warrior culture that is like is good, if you want to say that. There's there's stuff like good that are. What? Like and killing, <laughs> no, but like the the Spartan ideal of like you know physical work and like physicality. Yeah, as but someone... I also sorry, but I also feel like that like that whole idea of like them being so romanticized for such warriors, mm-hmm. and like when in reality, sure they were good, but they were like they weren't that much better than the other Greek soldiers, like. Mm-hmm. And they always had allies because, like, their strongest power was actually politically, mm-hmm. because they had a lot of say for like. But they gained their get how it fucking goes. Yeah, they gained their political power from having their military, though. Like the Spartan did, they they really lived and died by their military. Yeah. Their, the whole culture, the, the it was like basically the culture made for made for soldiers. the men who fought in the phalanx. It was just for that. Like, literally, if you were not a, a Spartan warrior, a uh, uh, soldier you you couldn't be a citizen in sparta you couldn't be a citizen you had no like no um so even if you were born there but you weren't a soldier yeah you weren't technically a citizen would you so you would become a slave uh well not a slave you could be like an artist or like a builder you know like other civilizational type traveling trappings but you had no standing politically you weren't allowed to vote yeah you didn't have you didn't you were not a citizen of sparta you were just someone who lived there. A visitor, there. an yeah. alien. Yeah, and the whole but the whole the slave thing because any any like aristocracy or anything royals or or any society that focuses on one thing that isn't like you know if you have subsistence but anything above subsistence yeah you you have to have like a work a working people and the Spartans the reason they could focus purely on their military. Was because they did have a, a slave class, which we've talked about, uh, you know, a couple of minutes ago. Was the the helots they called them? And they were just like people from. I think they were just like neighboring islands. I thought. Well, it was like Masonians were one of them, and there's another yeah. one. Well, the Peloponnese is where Sparta is, and then they the the Spartan the city state of Sparta yeah. or Lacedaemonia, I think, is what it's actually technically called, historically called. 
they what does it mean like like spartans called themselves like lacedaemonians so is that's just like a region or something like where does the name come from why are they the like i think that's what they would call themselves like a, an ancient spartan would say i'm i'm a spartan i think the city state I, I could be wrong i should probably fact check this the city state was sparta mm -hmm. but i think the region and they would call themselves like lacedaemonians yeah so if you were Laconia, like uh right? whatever like yeah an argentinian mm -hmm. they okay but the but the the region so there's like the the greek kind of like land mass that juts out into the sea and then there's a little peninsula that goes into what's the bigger area south called the peloponnese like the peloponnesian yeah. war mm -hmm. that was like um where where the city state of sparta was and they dominated that sparta the city state of sparta took over that area and i think through that military conquest they subjugated the helots oh, okay so that's why they they like took them over and then i think what they did is they subjugated them to like a slave peoples so again so did they have like did the helots like have any sort of life of their own like I don't think so. I think they were like farmers. Like their one like, like purpose was to serve and that's it. Mm -hmm. To the point where like, um, from my understanding, when something like a political, um, like if something was happening that wasn't in the favor of like a politician of Sparta or they wanted to distract <laughs> from the scandal or whatever, okay, they'd be like, oh, the, the helots are rising up again. They're rebelling. No way. And then they'd go dispatch the Spartan military on these, like, slave peoples. Jesus. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, is, like, the myth that's of the Sparta crazy, is, like, bro. pretty brutal, man. Um, so what I was saying previously about, like, certain... That's, like, like, you're saying it, and, like, I'm hearing it. <laughs> like, you're saying, like, yes, they would go and they would kill these slaves just mm -hmm. for the fuck-arounds. But, like, it's so, like, once you actually try to, like, imagine it happening, like, yeah, yeah. it's so fucked up. Yeah, they were, like, the scapegoats, in essence, from whatever, from everything I've read. The helots were the scapegoats. Christ. And they were, like, the whipping boys of the Spartans, right? So, yeah, it's uh, brutal. And that's that's what I find funny of, like, you know, the myth of the, the Spartan and, like, you know, like, we have, like, well, the Spartan yeah, race and stuff like Well, yeah, all those dudes, man, like, and fucking girls, whatever. It's they all think they're Spartans because they watched the three hundred. Yeah, three hundred is the big. Because yeah. that's what everybody yeah. Spartans are. Half naked dudes. Like, what are you guys talking yeah, about? They jacked. weren't even alone. <laughs> like historically, there was other regions fighting with yeah. them. Like they yeah. weren't even alone. I think it was like up to historically the the Battle of Thermopylae, which everyone talks about. Exactly. Um, yes, there was three hundred. There was of like. Them, but but I think it was like there was like 7,000 other Greeks there. Mm -hmm. And then the, the Spartans made up the tip of the spear of that defensive action. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, it's it's myth, right? There's a there's a big myth. And um, Frank Herbert th via Dune, the Fremens, everything we've talked about, um, he, he invokes that. He invokes that like the the myth of the hardened people from the land. And like yeah. there's even it's funny because Thermopylae is the real famous last stand. Like that's mm -hmm. one of the most famous last stands. Yeah. And um, in in the novel and in the movie, there's a last stand by Duncan Idaho. And he defends Paul Atreides, who's the okay. main character, his mom, and then a scientist character. Um, so huge spoiler. 
by me saying a last stand, I assume that you guys would think he he dies, but okay. he kills one of the main um, villains. Main villains, but they're like a, a, a an army called the Sardacor. Mm-hmm. They're they're well known as like the best fighters in the universe. But Duncan Idaho is he like, just fucks he's one up. of the he's the best swordsman in the whole universe. So he fucks all these guys up with yeah. a sword. Yeah, he does a last stand and he does kills anybody like have guns in this? Of them. Okay, do you want to go down another Dune tangent? Um, because I have. If you depends. want me to explain why there's no laser guns or no guns in Dune. <laughs> let's do like uh let's because <laughs> there's an let's, explanation i want like <laughs> explain it to me like i'm four years old okay and i haven't heard anything you said before about dune okay so the reason why they only have knives and swords in dune okay is because they have personal shield generators so if you shoot a laser gun... I feel like you tricked me, bro. <laughs> if they have... If they have sh- personal they have what? Personal shields. Like, they're form-fitting shields. They have a little shield generator. They have a little but shield. But, like, they, they have wear a it. suit on? They can click it, and it's like, a shield comes a out. A force. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and it's, like, form-fitting. Mm-hmm. And so if you shoot a laser gun at these shields... And you can only shoot laser guns. There's no bullets. Uh, not in the book. There's dart guns. Do they shoot darts? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Slow moving darts. I like something simple about this. Dart <laughs> guns do shoot darts. So I if like you that. shoot a laser at the personal shield in the Dune universe, okay. it creates a thermonuclear explosion. So it kills everyone. So it fucks everybody up. Fucks everyone up. So th- thousands of years ago, they stopped. Well, they still have them, but the main form of warfare is hand-to-hand. Because with the shield generators, if you shoot, say, like a bullet, something fast, mm-hmm. the shield will stop it. But if it's slow? But if it's slow, you can penetrate the shield. So do they fight, like, super, like, slow motion? So in... Man, you're asking good questions now, dude. <laughs> so <laughs> I, just, I just threw shade at Phil. Um, <laughs> so in the, in the novel, and they do this actually really well, the martial arts in the movie is fantastic because of this. So it's slow. It, well, so they say <laughs> the characters okay. who teach Paul how to fight, okay. they say fast on defense, slow on offense. Because okay. then it's like they call it the slow blade in Dune. Mm-hmm. So you can do fast movements in your defensive actions, but when you basically trap the guy, then you move the blade slowly and you stab him through shields. Yeah. So that's why it's like sword fighting. Which I think is so dope because okay. I'm a life, <clears throat> oh, lifetime martial artist. Call that maybe ten yeah. years combined martial arts. So I that was another attraction to the novel was like it's for me Frank Herbert created a way for me in my mind to be like yeah dude future knife fights what's up <laughs> I'm ready yeah shields <laughs> and knives bro yep so yeah that's but so going back to the Thermopylae myth of the Spartans and the Last Stands is Duncan Idaho does this really famous last stand. Is there 300 of them? No, he kills like 20-something, I mm-hmm. think, in the novel. They say 27 maybe, but like... How many does he kill in the movie? 17. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Give or take. Okay. Give or take three. Okay. So. Oh, I see, I see. <laughs> and you so... <clears throat> but th- that's another... Like, it's like another myth of the, like... The Last Stand, which the Spartans made made famous. 
we're going to make Last Stand so famous, bro. <laughs> so famous. We're going to march to Thermopylae and we're just going to make Last Stand so famous. We will. So again, though, it's like that, yeah, that romant- romanticization. And, and in, the, in the movie, it's a beautiful scene because yeah. it shows how Duncan Idaho loves Paul and, you know, he loves the family. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, again, for me, it ties into that whole thing of like the belief of the like, you know, you still die like Duncan Idaho still died yeah and for like you know so the last stand of Thermopylae is like you know the the romanticization is oh they died for what they believed in they died for you know in the movie 300 it's like yeah they died for you know the freedom and all that it's like that's like that's like Will Smith slapping Chris (laughs) Rock last night bro (laughs) it is it was like the last stand he didn't give a fuck yeah, but it's like you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk shit about Leonidas dying in Thermopylae, but it's like he, they died for a military dictatorship. Yeah, right. So it's kind of like Duncan Idaho, even though in the novel he died for the Atreides and Paul Atreides. So, what I like to like think about it in a way is like, do you think like at at that time, like let's say there was like two soldiers from Sparta. Like, we go back to their time. Would they talk to each other and be like, man, this is such bullshit? <laughs> like, man, this fucking sucks. Or, like, would they just be, like, chill with it and because that's all they know? Oh, yeah, for sure. They'd be like... So it would just be the lifestyle. They they wouldn't be, like, aware of no, not a different all. style of life. All they would know is, like, we're, we're, like, we're bound to each other as like warrior brothers yeah and will die gloriously on the battlefield for sparta that's probably what they'd say wow. and they would look at me and you and probably be like look at these pussies oh man like they'd be like what you guys like this is how you live you guys like you film guys your, you guys record your conversation <laughs> yeah. all you do is just talk fucking pussies <laughs> <laughs> you go all eastern european <laughs> So anyways, I just, I find through the lens of, you know, like everything I've talked about, I find there's a lot of things in the novel and we didn't even get into like Frank Herbert in the novel talks a lot about ecology, the environment, evolution, lots about evolution, lots about, uh, what kind of evolution, like the, uh, evolution of humans. He's really concerned. Like he like puts in like actual human evolution facts into the novel. Not evolution facts. It's like his Frank Ideas. Herbert sci-fi of where humans are going to the point where like Paul, Atreides, the main character, he is kind of already prescient. Prescient, I guess, is the way you pronounce it. So he's being he can see into the future a bit. Multiple lives. Yeah, in essence, yeah. In the novel, it's called genetic memory. Okay. And uh, he kind of already is a bit prescient. He can see into the future a little bit. Yeah. But then when he ends up on Dune, he's exposed to spice spice melange in the so air. he starts getting high, too. And he does, like, mega trips. Like, mega fucking trip. hashtag heroic dose of spice. Damn, <laughs> and he starts seeing multiple futures. Like, it's kind of like Doctor Strange when he sees the... So he becomes Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah, well, he sees hundreds and hundreds and thousands of multiple futures. And then he needs to pick the the best one for the survival of mankind. But the best future that Paul Atreides sees okay. is like really grim. And that's the best. Why one. is it the best? Cause, it, cause they live. 
Well, it's, uh, for, for it to for me to say why it's the best, you'd kind of have to read the novel. I'm really fascinated to see what they do with the movie because the second movie, part part two, like there's some really big things that Dennis Villeneuve will have to tackle, mm-hmm. like this, like you know, like <clears throat> the future of mankind, like sh- stewarded by Paul Atreides, yeah as this Fremen warlord, because <laughs> he, he basically comes to rule the Fremen. Um, and, he, yeah, he sees the future, and he's like, in order for mankind, because he unleashes himself, and it gets really almost like a meta-narrative after. Like he unleashes, like, like he unleashes his presence his, out of his body? No, like, he creates the myth of himself, Knowing, he knowingly creates a myth of himself to the Fremen to use the Fremen to fight the Emperor, to defeat the Emperor. Yeah, okay. And he he sees through his heroic dose of spice. Like, how often does he smack this heroic <laughs> dose of spice, man? He does it, I think, definitely before he becomes, like... Oh, man, there's so much stuff here. Before he becomes Muad'Dib. So he chooses a name, Muad'Dib. Which is like his Fremen name. Okay, but like, <laughs> he like, how often does he do spice? Well, in like it's oh, it's in the air, so he's kind of high all the time. So he's constantly he's using like spice. Just, yeah, like breathing. So this dude's just high as fuck. High as fuck all the time, and it's just seeing the future and like knifing. Is people. he though? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe the whole thing was like I'm he just, just being, I'm he just, just hustled us. <laughs> maybe Paul. Atreides just hustled the Fremen. Yeah, it's just nothing. But he kind of does, actually. He kind of does. Like, he, he creates a myth of himself, knowing that if he doesn't, because he needs the Fremen, because if he doesn't, then mankind basically eradicates itself. I feel like Willie Nelson's going to do that for us, bro. So, but because, <laughs> because he creates this myth of himself, he's, like, unleashing himself onto the universe, and then they become, the Fremen become extremists like he, they create a religion around him okay and so they become extremists and he unleashes literally in the novel it's called a, a, a galactic jihad and they go and they conquer the known universe so that paul can then shape the future of mankind through his to what he's trying to choose it to be because he wants mankind to survive and so he, he chooses what the future is going to be and then he has to do it yep Kind of like the guy climbing 14 peaks, bro. <laughs> I totally don't follow you on that one. <laughs> I'm super lost on that one. It doesn't matter, man. Yeah. They're all lost. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I could probably talk about... Because this is like three quarters of the way through the first novel. We're, oh. like, we're like an hour and a half in this conversation, and this is like... 200 pages in so far out of like a 350 page novel wow and then we haven't even got into dune messiah which is the second one where it's like full-fledged galactic jihad it's like there's um there's a religion around paul atreides and then (laughs) the third one wait for this i I wish you guys could see philip's face about what i'm going to tell him (laughs) this is frank herbert man um so Who is the, Frank Herbert? He's the, the guy, guy who that wrote. wrote it. Yes, I know that, but um, he's saying what you're about to say. No, no, no. It's just like this is Frank Herbert's style. Is he's got a okay. really unique style. But so in the third novel, mm-hmm. Children of Dune, uh, Paul isn't really in the novel much, but his like presence is in the background. And then 
his son merges with a sandworm. Okay. And then becomes the god emperor mm-hmm. as a half human, half sandworm. Half human, which part sandworm? Bottom or top? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just as dick. Um, <laughs> So anyways, he he merges with a sandworm. No, I was being serious with the question. Like, how Uh, how does that look? I think in the fourth one, God Emperor of Dune, which takes place 3,000 years after the third novel. Okay, so just a nice little little jump. (laughs) um, So still everything the same, nothing new changed? Yeah, it's it's basically just a rehash. Still no bullets and laser guns? (laughs) No, no, no. Number four is completely different. Okay. Um, uh, the, well, from the way to describe it is you can see the the son, like the son's also named Leto. The worm son. The worm son. Okay. <laughs> Yo, what up, worm son? <laughs> um, it's like arms of a human and head of a human, body of a sandworm. A giant sandworm. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, How big of a sandworm? <laughs> he's not, well, the sandworms in Dune okay. are humongous. He's not that big. Okay. He's like maybe the size of like a Volkswagen. A Volkswagen. Jetta. <laughs> um, yeah, it takes place like 3,000 years after the third one and it gets bananas. Number four, five, and six. You, to the to the listeners who are still with us. Yeah. If you read one, two, three, they call that the Atreides trilogy, mm-hmm. um, which I think are better than, so one, two, three are much better than four, five, six in my opinion. Yeah. Because four, five, six, <laughs> this is a bold statement. If you've been tracking what I've been talking about with Dune. I have. I have. Four, five, six is so fucking bananas. Good way, bad way. It's like, I I didn't really care much for them because it's like Frank Herbert was like, I like to think he's like sitting there writing number four, five, and six. And he's like, you know what? People are saying I wrote the greatest science fiction novel ever with Dune, the first one. So you know what? Let's get fucking weird. (laughs) And it's like. (laughs) He just sent it. It's just weird. They're weird. They're almost a different story well they're obviously a different story but it's like a different universe it's like he he changed it so drastically from four to five yeah that you almost lose and and for me you lose the specialness of what dune is because the first book to me is so good and it's so unique and then you get into you know by book five you're literally like six thousand years after book one and it's just weird. Like he just he goes really out there, which again is a pretty bold statement to to yeah. Dune one. So he's like jumping the shark. Is that the term? <laughs> I don't or? know. It's just like he went so deep into evolution and like the bad guys in book five are these like. In essence, is this writer like, on drugs? Is this writer on spice, bro? Yeah, he's he's like <laughs> he's dosing his own spice. The main no, bad for real guys though, in, is he like has a history of like psychedelic use or something? I don't think something? so. He actually, Frank Herbert was actually a fairly libertarian guy. Like he was, I guess that libertarians can still partake, yeah. but he was actually <laughs> yeah, I was like, just um, say, I don't think drugs have anything to do with it. He was, I think surprisingly a pretty straight laced guy. I think he was just highly philosophical. Like I yeah. think he was just really imaginative and um, like really imaginative, really imaginative. But it's, it's yeah. cool. Like, even when it's like fantasy mm-hmm. and it's science fiction, um, you still get these like direct connections with like human history, mm-hmm. e- even in them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yes, it's 
science fiction, but I guess that's what fantasy would be like—a completely different world, completely non-correlated. Mm-hmm. So science fiction is correlated because it's science. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you always get like in, in most sci-fi studies, fantasy. You know, if you're looking at it like lit- literarily. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if that's an actual word. Literarily. Literally. Literarily. You, you people use science fiction and fantasy to like put a mirror up to the to the culture right yeah. so you're kind of always critiquing the culture through your your invented stories right mm-hmm. but i yeah i don't know if you could say frank herbert did that with the first dune novel because it's not like in the 60s you know i guess maybe it was like the the you know psychedelics were starting to hit the mainstream and <clears throat> yeah i just meant like like how with the warriors and stuff and how he made it like uh connection with the spartans and shit Mm -hmm. like that and the greek gods Mm -hmm. and um so it still draws from him from his influences yeah 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 like like i've said a few times is like the the fremen definitely are are a mishmash of definitely like spartan mongol and like warrior peoples even like a bit of um Probably like Plains First Nations. Yeah. Like maybe like some Lakota and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also why I really like that the characters, because I myself fall victim to the Spartan myth. Like let's just, if we're just calling it that, is like, mm-hmm. or the warrior people's myth, right? And it's like, I definitely fall. Like I, you know, I like heavy physical training and, and martial arts and stuff like that. Yeah. And there is the, and, and that's why I was saying, you know, previously, there is, I think, some. Yeah, but sorry, but there there's a difference. Like you use it to like motivate yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't actually truly believe you're a Spartan warrior. No, no, and that's what yeah. I was saying is like there is so even the romanticization and, and I fall victim to it all the time about like, oh, you know, Duncan Idaho's last stand, Thermopylae, you know, those are like you know, you think of them in these romantic terms and it's like it almost in a stranger way it inspires you. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm in. I'm as human as the next person, and those Absolutely. inspired me. Like I've read tons about for my history degree. I was really interested in uh, First Nations people, but specifically First Nations people, which again, there's there's Frem. You can see in the Fremen, the desert people of Dune. You can yeah. see the influences. I was really interested in like, you know, the Mohawk, the the Seven Years' War, and the like. I guess they would call it the Iroquois Confederacy. Yeah. You know, Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse, the Battle of Little Bighorn. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I love that history and I read deeply about it. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's in us. And I think that's what you're saying is it's in us to be inspired by these people who are raised exactly. in these extreme environments. They, they create a, a code around these environments and stuff, you know, like. Yeah. Even to an extent, the, the Sicilian people who created like um the mafia mm-hmm. they that was like a code of honor because they lived in like a rocky outcropping off of italy yeah that culture is right? fucking so interesting so they had an honor culture they had a culture of you know like oh the police aren't in this rocky area of sicily so we create our own code we protect ourselves you know we're fierce yeah. you know or like the the dagestanis of the ufc fame i know you it's know, crazy they're like man mountain they're... people you know the some of literally some of the best fighters, wrestlers, combat athletes in the world. They're they're taking over and fucking mm-hmm. deservedly, man. Like yeah. they're is that a word? Deservedly, yeah. Nice. Yeah, you nailed that. Immigrant nailing the <laughs> nice, nailing yeah. deservedly, man. Yeah. 
Hey, man, your English is way better than my Croatian, so. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, how they're taking over, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Like, and they're so, like, it's interesting to watch them because, like, it's so fucking overpowering. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's just, like, nothing you can do about mm-hmm. it. If they grab you, that's yep. it, man. Like, literally, Wrestling Bear is at 10 years old. Like, yeah. Literally, like, you can look, watch that on that YouTube video. Yeah. So again, like, but that's kind of like, to me, as someone who was raised in North America, it's, it's like, (laughs) I don't know if you'd ever want to raise your kids in that environment, but when you see the product of some of these environments and like historically looking back at the historical records, some of the achievements of some of these peoples and stuff, you're like, that's amazing in, in, in its extremity. Well, I mean, you're doing it since... Since you yeah, know of yourself, yourself, running up mountains, wrestling. Yeah, you grew yeah. up, and that's all you do. And like mm-hmm. that type of expertise, when you see in like athletes and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. whatever performers, whatever it is, something that they've been doing since they were like a child, mm-hmm. and it's just like so fucking yep. perfect. Well, it's kind of like you know. Let's circle back to Nims. Nims literally probably started playing like soccer. Mm-hmm. I assume maybe up in the mountains you know, that physical lifestyle of, of the, the Nepalese Sherpas. Yeah. Cause you know, that's where the people who, I think they run Mount Everest, the Sherpas. So yeah, kind of well, like, they it, like, uh, yeah, help get everybody. So there is an interesting, I guess we were kind of queuing off of that for this conversation with Nims and 14 peaks is like, he does come from like the Gurkhas where he became a Gurkha. That in itself is like a bit of a warrior society and, they're, they're well totally known. the Gurkhas are well-known warriors and yeah so it's like yeah I guess there was a there was a line there we so maybe that's what it takes it's like a young age like well that's what the, breeds people yeah like that's that. the debate because right? it has to be the experience mm-hmm. right yeah sure like what we were saying in the beginning about the um something genetics epigenetics epigenetics yeah mm-hmm. what we were talking about that and like yeah it's that but it like you have to be like shaped for it mm-hmm. your whole life to be able to yeah. do something like that. Well, that's the thing with like the culture, right? Like the, the Spartan culture was was designed like the 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 mythological founder of Sparta outlawed money so that they would only look at like um, quality of life. Well, not even quality of life, but like what you gave back to the society was like you know work and fighting. So he didn't want value to be through money. He wanted value to be through what you did for the society. So he outlawed money. I can't remember the name of him now, but he's like the founder. I think he actually might even be a historical person. Like, I don't know if he's even a myth, but he outlawed money. There's no money in Sparta. And so that's the thing, though, is like, so. Like only under this one ruler. No, like from him, from him on, he was like the founder of the society. How long did Sparta exist for? I think when we say like historical Sparta, I'm pretty sure um, Thermopylae, I think, was like four something, 480 BC. Like, for whatever reason, I feel like it's 412, but I could be so Yeah, f- four something BC. And then I know, I think it was like from 700 to 600 BC. And then by the 300s BCs, because it counts backwards in BC mm-hmm. until you get to zero. Um 
But, I know, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> mansplaining. Um, you, in the 300s, you had, like, Philip of Macedonia, well, Philip II of Macedonia, and then Alexander, who, so the Macedonians were then the power. To, to the point where, like, there's a famous story of Philip II had conquered all of Greece, except mm-hmm. for the Peloponnese, where Sparta is. Yeah. And he hummed and hawed, so they surrounded Sparta, because Sparta never had a, a navy. Mm-hmm. So he hummed and hawed about Sparta, and they were like, if we go in, you know, it was definitely in the decline of Spartan culture. Yeah. And so they surrounded it, and they hummed and hawed, and they didn't invade Philip II, Alexander's dad. And there's a very famous line, and this is kind of like, this is where the cool shit comes in, where I can see where people get sucked into the myth of Sparta. Yeah. Philip II wrote to Sparta, the kings, and said, if I invade Sparta, and this is, as far as I know, complete historical fact. If I invade Sparta, I will destroy your crops, I will plunder your people, and I will destroy Sparta. The Spartan king sent back a letter with one word in it, if, (laughs) and that's it. If, if. So like, imagine you come from a, like, so this is where I go, is like, imagine you come from a culture where it's like, like the term laconic, have you ever heard that term before? No. If someone's laconic, they're like, they're quiet, they're stoic. Okay. They just, small responses. That comes from Lacedaemonia or, or Lacon, which was Spartans. Yeah. Laconic is like sp- how Spartans talk. Mm-hmm. And um, so imagine that, like we have your, we have your country surrounded. We're going to, you know, we're going to literally invade and we're threatening to destroy. <laughs> yeah. if, we don't give up. If we come Fuck. in, we're going to destroy and you just stand there like bro, <laughs> broing out. Keep and you my go, country if. out of your fucking mouth. <laughs> if, bro. Yeah, you walk up and you slap them. <laughs> Right, so it's like there's some there's some cool shit and like the whole thing of, um, I guess the Spartans were known as like to be pretty witty in that respect. Yeah, like the whole thing with like oh we'll fight in the shade. Apparently that's historical as well, you know like oh our arrows will blot out the sun. Well fuck it, we'll fight in the shade then. It's like what? <laughs> if I was like when I did MMA, if I trained with a guy who said shit like that, I'd be like bro, I'm gonna win every fight if you're with me. Yeah, right, because it is there's an inspiring thing there of that. So you can really see where that that myth kind of that myth kind of comes it's just in like there's right? nothing in our way yeah that exactly possibly yeah. do to stop yeah. us yeah whatever it is it's fine yeah we're just yeah. we're gonna handle it exactly yeah, there's just nothing yeah and i think i was kind of saying like that you know when you have a culture designed around that then you can find the people like the nims nims of the world yeah because um they're so rare now though they're so rare now yeah exactly it, it's like it's so rare that like mm-hmm. people like just put themselves through shit like this for just pure will. Yeah, we because nobody's making him do it. Yeah, we have to we have to do it to ourselves. Like the people who do you know whatever hard physical training. Yeah, and he financed like he mm-hmm. did like all the money gathering himself. Yeah. Like yeah. nobody was like, hey, Nims, you want to get like ten grand or something per peak or yeah, something? Yeah, he had to like sell it, almost sell his house. And exactly, stuff, he, he like put himself. Yeah. Put himself in like debt to be yeah. able to achieve this goal. Yeah, and it's like, why? Mm. Yeah, I guess he had burning like, desire. Yeah, burning desire. Yeah. But it's like, it. I don't know. I just it's so hard for me to understand that. Yeah, it's foreign. It's very foreign to our, like, well, not North America's like, 
North, but call it the North American way of thinking. Yeah. It's like, it's so foreign to be like, like, why would you, why would you purposely put yourself through that ordeal? Yeah. Right. Whereas some cultures, again, like the, the good side is like some cultures would welcome you going through that discovery of self. Right. Yeah, I agree. But it's like, I feel like you get one life and you just choose to spend it on one thing (laughs) yeah there's yeah there's definitely and it's like sure i mean Mm -hmm. you can achieve everything you want be the most dedicated person in the world but at the end of the day like Mm -hmm. we're all going to the same fucking place Mm -hmm. i think that's why these people are so amazing to us is because i know myself we talked about this last last episode I'm too interested. I'm interested in so many different things. Yeah, exactly. How could you ever possibly yeah. choose one thing? Yeah. But there are some people that are like, till the day they die, man. That's why they become experts or amazing. Exactly. Yes, they're, right? yeah. And like, fucking hat off to them, man. Yeah. But like, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like how somebody's just able to pick. Yeah. It's like you click a button and you're like, I'm going to do everything in my power to be this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why they're rare. That's why they're rare. Yeah. And I guess it also like tying back in, tying it all back together to kind of what we were talking about is like, that's the myth. Like that's why people get sucked into the myth is like that single purpose warrior ethos. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Tied it back. We did, man. (laughs) That was a good one. That was like, what, almost two hours? Uh, We've hit about an hour and a half right now. Nice. Sweet. With our little smoke break. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Yeah. We'll tie it up here. Yeah, that was a good, good. Um, let us know what you guys think about this. Like, any Dune fans out there? <laughs> yeah. Hit us up on Instagram. Mark will answer any it's questions like you have. Dune fans, Nims fans, <laughs> Freedom Fighters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Molan, Molan Labe flag exactly. makers. Yeah. The. Um, the Harkonnens. <laughs> Shout out to the Harkonnens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Harkonnens. Hashtag Dune. Hashtag Will Smith. Hashtag Will Smith, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, Instagram. Hit us up on Instagram. Hit us up on Instagram, guys, if you guys have any questions, Conscious any ideas what we should talk about next. Ready? Thank you. <laughs>